I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Chris Fetters of dogman.com, and I am here with the head of hoops, Aaron Beach. We know he's always lurking around, checking out the hoop scene, seeing what's going on with Washington basketball. And, you know, obviously we're in that weird transition period and 2020 makes it even weirder beach. But, uh, you know, just first of all, tell us how you're doing. Tell us how the family is. Tell us what's going on. Hey, Chris. Um, man, I'm doing, I think like we all are. Just kind of doing, getting through day to day. Every day kind of looks the same as the one before. Um, you know, we got the house all done up like uh, Clark Griswold. So that was a lot of fun. A nice distraction. It's fun to wake up with a, you know, brightly lit Christmas tree in the morning when it's all dark outside. But, uh, well, hanging in there. You know, I'm glad basketball's back on the tube. We got basketball and football when they play. So, uh, yeah, it's 2020, man. Yeah, no, it's, it, it is, we are in that weird crossover time where there's football and basketball. Unfortunately, with no football this weekend, I definitely felt like this was the right time to reach out to you and get your perspective on what's going on with the hoops team. Um, you know, clearly first three games right out of the jump, not a great start and losing to Baylor, who I think was number one or number two at the time. Uh, and then who was it? Was it UC Riverside? Uh, mm-hmm. and then, and then lost at, uh, Utah. And then now on, t- on Wednesday, they were able to bounce back in a big way, beating Seattle University by 32, I think. Was it 73-41? Uh, huge bounce back win. And like Coach Hopkins said post game, you know, that's a team in Seattle where the last few years they've struggled. You know, single digit wins. They, they had a, a double digit win last year, but it wasn't until late in the game where they were able to kind of separate themselves from, um, the Red Hawks. So overall though, Beach, I know you saw the Utah game. You saw the Seattle game. Let's just start in, in very general terms. What did you see out of the Seattle game where there was market improvement from what happened at Utah? Well, so first of all, I mean, let's keep this in perspective. It's Seattle U, and it's not a very good Seattle U team. Now, granted, the fact they always play Washington tough, but um, I, I don't want to get too excited about one win as bad as they looked, you know, the rest of the time. That said, uh, you know, Nate Pryor, um, th- that's been a nice development. Uh, I, he's not the same. I don't know about you, but I remember Nate Pryor in high school as a little squirty six-foot guard. Um who maybe has some potential. He kind of reminded me of Aaron Nettles at that time, who plays for Seattle U, and we saw it uh, the other night. Um, I I didn't remember a 6'3", super long-armed, kind of pesky uh, point guard the way we saw him, you know, in action against SU. So that was the first thing that stood up to me, stood out to me. Um, I like what I've seen out of Nate Roberts. 
Uh, I, I think he's going to continue to progress, and I, I, I suspect he's a you know he's a double double candidate every night. It wasn't so much what we saw against SU, but honestly, more what we saw against Utah, where you had a Pac-12 size front court that he was. Uh, you know, I think he was what 13 and 12 in that game. Um, you know, he's kind of symptomatic of the whole team, though. He's very undisciplined and raw. But he's got some nice touch, and I think as a course of the season, you know, his his physical gifts will translate to Pac-12 play for sure. Um, Riley Sorn's been a dis- difference maker, and uh, <laughs> which I frankly expected. I, I thought all along that he was going to be a player at some point, and I got a <laughs> I got a lot of crap for that back when he first signed with Washington as a walk-on. Um, but uh, he's seven four, and he's not anchored to the floor. So um, I like what I'm seeing there. You know, so the front court's going to be okay. Uh, Hamir Wright is Hamir Wright at this point. You know, he gives you what he does. He's a good defender. You know, he blocks uh, shots. You know, he misses from outside. Uh, he's been the same player more or less all four years. So I like what I'm seeing in the front court. I continue to be alarmed by what I see in the back backcourt. Uh, Quade Green's great. Probably the best point guard in the Pac-12. Um, uh, boy, he sure – I imagine – how much different things would have been last season had he been around the whole time. I, I have to believe that it's a very different year. Um, but the wings are terrible. Um, you know, Jamal Bay has more, I, I don't know about you, but I've seen no progression from him in the three years of investment that they put into him so far. Um, so I, I continue to be kind of flabbergasted by the playing time he gets. I, I understand he's a solid defender, but he really didn't do anything else. And uh, so to me, based on what I saw out of Bajima, um, I'd like to see, you know, him starting to seed time to Cole, who seems to have a, a bit more upside as far as I can tell. Um, you know, uh, Stevenson's been okay. He can't hit anything, but I like his squirtiness. Um, you know, overall, I mean, this is going to be a long season. This is going to be about all about developing for next year, Chris. I mean, that's the truth of it. And, um you know, I'm curious, you know, what we see come down the pike because they don't have a lot of infusion of talent outside of Jackson Grant coming in next season. So, um, you know, I, I'm a little bit concerned. Well, what's interesting though is that, um, first of all, in my, you know, it's amazing how making a few shots can turn your world around. I mean, Washington's three point percentage went from like 18 or 19 to percent to almost 25% in one game, <laughs> one game. So the, the sample size is pretty crazy on that, on the, the number of three, of made threes against Seattle. Um, but I also thought the, the defense is, is the tone setter. And, and when you can hold the team to 41 points, I don't care if it's Seattle U or Seattle prep. Um, you know, if you can hold the team to 41 points, you're going to win games. End of story. But I thought the biggest, um, kind of development between the two games was the combination of using uh, Quad A Green and Nate Pryor. Um, I thought Absolutely. it was interesting, frankly, that Nate Pryor got the start over Marcus Sahonis once it was known that Quad A was under the weather, wasn't going to play, you know, early start. Um, it's amazing what he's been able to do. And um, Hopkins talked about him being a team player and a, and a guy that's kind of given them some juice right now. What do you think about that particular combination of Pryor and Green, though? What do you what do you think based on what you saw against Seattle? Gives you hope that, that that can create a nice partnership. No, I liked it a lot. 
Exactly. Um, you know, you got two very quick guards who get into passing lanes and create problems. Um, so I liked it. And furthermore, I guess I take it a step further and add Stevenson to that mix. And to be honest, I, I think that when it's all said and done, you're going to look at those three guys in the backcourt and they're going to see time together. Um, because I think they're just that much more effective. Um, and maybe that's because I'm so down on Jamal Bay at the moment, but, um, I think there's a lot there with those three in terms of they can be, they're quick and physical and they get into the lane. And then when you throw Badgham in the mix, and one of the things I liked last night that I saw or Wednesday night was, um, you know, Cole attacks the basket and, you know, he didn't finish on most of his attempts, but uh, they definitely need a slasher uh, with some size and Bay hasn't been that guy. Um so I, I was impressed with that, but I like the three, actually the three point guards or the three combo guards all together in, uh, in prior quad a and Stevenson. So you think, I mean, cause again, when we were talking to hop earlier in the season, the big emphasis offensively was how they were going to, instead of go with that balanced look that they did because they had an inside presence last year with Isaiah Stewart they were going to be more guard oriented. They were going to run more four out five. They were going to, they were going to try to create space and allow guys to dribble drive and then dish or score. And clearly the first three games that just didn't happen at all. Like the identity of this team was, was miles away from the offense that they wanted to run, which seemed a bit odd. But then he said that when they went and practiced the, the three or four practices, from when they got back from Utah to the Seattle U game, they were working more on flow. They, they, they found at Utah that they had a, they had an inside game with, um, Nate Roberts and Riley Soren a little bit. And then obviously Hamir can do some things too, but they, they felt like maybe they had a little bit more balance than they thought they were going to inside. So they had an option there. And so now they were talking about creating more flow getting the ball really popping and passing. Is that something that you saw against Seattle? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, let's, let's temper our enthusiasm a little bit. I mean, SU small, right. And it's not indicative of any front court that they're going to see during the regular season, but yeah, for sure. And, and you see that both uh, Roberts and Soren are, are, they're playing better in space. Um, and the, Particularly in the Stanford game, you see, you know, in what Soren had, I think 11. I mean, he had a nice game, but you can see that he's still getting accustomed to, you know, the guards dancing around and, and, you know, he gets in the way to an extent. I think that's going to, that will continue to improve as he, as he sinks with the, with his, with his guards. But, uh, I, I think it's an inside out team, uh, because I don't, frankly, I, I don't see that they have the shooters, right? I, so far, there's no evidence that anyone besides Quad A can consistently knock down a three-pointer. So they're going to have to go inside more. There's no doubt about it. So the guys that are struggling a little bit, you mentioned Jamal, obviously Stevenson. We could talk about Marcus Sahonis. We can talk about Raekwon Battle. But let's start with Stevenson first because there was a lot of intrigue with him transferring in from Wichita State, getting the waiver to play right away. Does it feel like all he needs to do is have a couple shots fall and the rest of his game comes together or is he still searching for something? Yeah. So exactly what you said. Um, I, I think it's a matter for him in particular, it's a matter of matter of getting comfortable. Um, 
you know, his previous seasons, he was a slow starter from outside as well. That's what the stats say. Not that I watched all that much. Um, but statistically speaking, he was better as the season went on from outside. And I'm hoping, I think we're all hoping that, uh, that's the same story. I like him. I think I like what he brings to the table. Is he a above average frontline starter in the pack 12? Um, I'm not going to go that far, but, um, can he be a serviceable starter? Uh, for Washington, yeah, I think he can. Okay, and then again, let's 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 focus back on Jamal Bay. He had nine and three against Seattle, and the initial reaction from most on the message board was they'll take that every day. And I don't know if that's a reflection of low expectations or a reflection of the fact that he just hasn't had those kinds of consistent stats all along. But I do remember a couple plays where. You know, he would ask for a screen up top. He would get it. He would dribble to the elbow. Papa J, it looked nice and easy, nice and fluid, smooth, like he should be doing that every time down the court. What is stopping him from being more aggressive on the offensive side of the ball? Because it seems like he has all the tools to shine. Well, he was a, you know, he was a high-octane scorer in high school, that's for sure, but what I see is a guy that um, second guesses himself an awful lot, an awful lot on the offensive end, um, and you can see pauses, you can see hesitations. He and that split second where he's second guessing himself or trying to figure out his next move is more than enough time for defenders to capitalize and get in his way. And you see it multiple times throughout the ball game where he just I don't know if I should go or not, and then you know, and then by the time he makes the move, defenders are in better position and he bricks it and. We've seen that, I think, pretty consistently throughout his career. My expectation was that he was going to move beyond that at some point. And so, I mean, in my, you know, opinion, you know, whoop dee nine points. I, I'm not going to take that all day. That's terrible from your starting, from your starting small forward who's, you know, you've invested three full years into. I, I just, uh, to me, I, I want to see more Bajima. Uh, I want to see more Stevenson. You know, even if you're having a, if, even if it's a smaller backcourt combination, because he's not doing anything out there as far as I'm concerned that's justifying him getting, you know, 25, 30 minutes of ball game. That's for sure. Yeah. It's interesting that you talk about Bajman as being a bad replacement. Um, you know, I'm not saying he's he, a better replacement. I'm saying he might be a better replacement and he's worth the look because I really like his, I, I love the way he gets into the paint. Um, you can see that he likes that mid range penetration. Uh, and he's really quick. He's a lot quicker than Bay, um, at least to my eyes. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, again, it's interesting because I, if you would have said that after the Utah game, I wouldn't have seen it because he still looked like a guy who was struggling to find his role, kind of searching with those guys out oh. there. Didn't look, didn't look comfortable. But now after the Seattle game, now again, you mentioned quality opponent. I get it. But you mentioned his aggressiveness. That showed up in the second half a lot. I still thought he was searching initially, but the more time he got out on the floor, you could see that he really wants to attack if he can, and that he wants to be able to use his size and use his range to effectiveness offensively, uh, and he's not afraid to stick his stick his head in. So, yeah, I mean, I can see reasons why you you would want to go to a guy like Bajma eventually, because he might show that decisiveness that base seems to be lacking at this point. Well, I mean, how is Bay only shot taking five three pointers? That I, I, he's open. 
a lot. And he's so reluctant to pull the trigger from outside. And Washington needs someone to do it. And not that Bajama was firing away either. But I believe, at least based on the pedigree, is that, uh, you know, that's an element of his game that uh, will it would serve the Washington very well. So I'm not trying to say that Bajama is the superior player at this point. But both are still developmental, and you've invested a ton of time in Bay, and it's not translating. So to me, since we're just all about development this season anyway, let Bajima have the lion's share of the time there because, to me, you know, the ship's kind of sailing on Bay. Well, the other thing that I think is pretty telling and, and points to your argument is that, you know, Jamal Bay, again, five three-pointers, Hamir Wright has 19. How do you have – how does your – how is your forward – have four times as many three looks. And the thing is, Samir Wright's getting good looks. He's just not putting them down. You know, mm-hmm. if you're Hopkins, I know exactly what Hop's going to say. He's going to say, look, you keep getting great looks like that, you're going to put them down. But why are why is Washington at this point relying on Hamir Wright to get aggressive with those good threes when Jamal Bay should be the one that's looking for his shot and finding those opportunities and creating the space to find good looks? I think it's a confidence thing, Chris. I think Amir has confidence in his jump shot and Bay doesn't. Um, and not that Amir should be shooting that many three pointers because he's never proven to be a reliable three point threat, but he's been a serviceable one. Um, and I mean, Washington so badly needs that. You know, I have to believe he'll be, you know, he's going to click at some point. And I, I think he's probably around a 30 point, you know, 30% shooter this season. You know, if he can come back from a one in 10 performance, but, um, you know, Bell's, Bay's got to shoot the ball more, period. Uh, he's, he's doing, you know, two and a half rebounds a game at six, six is your, you know, your small forward. It's, that's not acceptable either, you know, so it, it's not just the lack of offensive uh, contribution for Bay that I struggle with. You know, I get he's a good defender, but he's a good defender in a zone, you know, um, so I, well, that, I, that is what they uh, play. So. No, <laughs> that, I, I agree. But yeah, that's okay. That's fair. But <laughs> I, I keep seeing people. Oh, he's this great defender. Well, is he, or is he just kind of long and reasonably so you're saying, athletic? Saying the, and zone, the, the zone at this point. The zone is masking some of his inadequacies. Yeah, you're saying absolutely. Okay, yep. fair enough. Fair enough. So now, while there certainly have been some pleasant surprises, we talked about Nate Pryor. We talked a little bit about Riley Sorn in terms of early contributions, probably didn't necessarily see that coming right away. There have been other guys that I think we would have expected a little bit more from because they've been in the program a little longer, um, got plenty of time last year. That's Raekwon Battle. That's Marcus Sahonis, and to a lesser extent, Jerron Brooks. But Jerron at least was with the team last year. He was practicing. He, he knows what's being expected of him offensively and defensively. Right now, I look at those three guys, and I and I hate to paint them with the same brush, but they all look pretty lost right now. Totally. I mean, what happened to Raekwon, right? I mean, his his shot selection was never very good, let's not pretend. But it's been downright abysmal, you know, so far what we've seen. I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what happened, but um, I, I don't know. I, it kind of feels like, you know, Grandma offering, hey, I'm going to give you $5 for every three-point attempt you, you make. You know, like uh, like you did in the sixth grade. Um, well, I just want to know. I just that's to, kind of what it looks to me. Well, I want to know. Selection is awful. Yeah, I just want to know from your opinion though. Is that is that him just really trying too hard 
to make something happen, like round peg square hole stuff, or is it, or is it, or is it getting into his head? Uh, I, I think it's probably both. Um, you know, he's a shooter and he was, that was his reputation in high school too. I mean, but that, that's what he did with rotary. Um, but, but he was better at it then and he was better at it honestly last season. So yeah, I think this whole team is really struggling with how do I impact? How do I make a difference? I know my team needs me. Uh, I'm going to do what I do best, but right now doing what he does best isn't doing anything for them. And with Marcus, are we just to look at the, the silver lining part and say it's simply a matter of Nate Pryor um, taking advantage of his opportunities and moving past Sohonis at this point? Or is there something bigger going on with Marcus that we need to talk about? No, I, I think it's both. It's, it's not just Nate Pryor, but it's, you know, Stevenson's arrival too, because they all play the same position. They're all combo guards, um, you know, penetrating combo guards. That's, they're pretty similar in that regard. So, um, yeah, I think that's just a numbers thing. And in the front court with Jerron Brooks, same story. You don't need four bigs. You need three bigs in your rotation, and he's the fourth man out. So, um, you know, he had a nice little turnaround, and they can definitely use him. It's just I don't think the time is right, especially the way Riley's come along. And, um, you know, I think he will continue to be a factor. We all know, Beach, that, that Hop wants to run 7-8 if he can. Um, that's his ideal thing. He wants to, you know, he wants to have that starting five, have a couple impact guys coming off the bench and really have, um, the rest of the team fighting for those, you know, those six, seven, eight spots. Um, do you think he can get away with that right now while they're really still searching for an identity, um, especially on offense? I mean, the, the identity on defense is obviously well established. It's just a matter of how effective they can be doing the zone. But offensively, trying to figure out who they are with kind of a little bit of balance now with some of the bigs, can they can they still space? Do they need to have the flow? With all these things, all these questions going on, can he stick with seven, eight guys? Do you think he can make that work? <laughs> well, if he goes six or seven, eight guys, that's a that's a or excuse me, yeah, seven, eight guys. It, that's a great thing for Washington because that means that, you know, those couple of guys that aren't starting have, you know, emerged as viable, um, you know, contributors. And right now that's just not the case at all. I mean, there's not really any difference in, in, you know, my opinion from Jamel Bay all the way down the rest of the roster. Right. So you got four guys who I believe are, you know, should be there. And then beyond that, it, you know, will he find seven or eight guys? Yeah, because that's every coach's goal, right, is you want that seven, eight-man rotation. I think it's going to be because, you know, he has the guys to justify it. It's just he's got to do something. He's got to lock in and develop at some point and run with the best he's got. Um, but, no, this there's not enough depth on the roster to happen. So at this point, with with okay, so they've got 11 scholarship guys. We've talked about the three guys that are really struggling in Battle Brooks and, and Sohonis. Um, Sohonis is only playing 10 minutes a game. I mean, Riley Soren's almost playing as much as Marcus is at this point. Um, is it as simple to say just, just let those three kind of fight through their slump, battle through it, get past it, work through it in practice, and then see how they can impact, you know, once they're given some more opportunities on the court? Or how would you adjust the rotation right now? What else are you going to do, Chris? I mean, if nobody's proving it, um, 
And the problem is you got too many guys at that combo guard spot, that those one, two spots, right? You got nobody at the three spot who's standing up and saying, I want it. Um, and then I think your front court rotation is pretty much solidified at this point. Right. So in the backcourt outside of quad A and, and really that's why are we anointing Nate Pryor, you know, the next guy yet either. And I, I, we're getting a little over our skis with that. Let's make him justify it and earn it. Um, Stevenson, as I said, he's, you know, he's serviceable at the moment. Um, hopefully he can start hitting, locking it down from outside, but no, Chris, there's cops in a rough spot. Because he just doesn't have the guys, you know. It, it, we, losing Nas wasn't a huge hit because they lost, lost this, you know, phenomenal All Pac-12 caliber player. It's just they lost one of the few contributors they had returning, and um, right now it's really Quad A and everybody else. So I know you talked about a situation early in the pod where you could see Green, Stevenson, and Pryor all playing together on the floor for extended minutes. So I'm going to give you a a few minutes here to talk about, based on what you saw the last two games, what you think Hop should roll without as his starting lineup and the kind of offense you feel like he could run that would prove to be effective against Pac-12 play because they're playing Oregon tomorrow. You know, So we'll, we'll get a real quick dose right away as to how they've been able to progress and go against the caliber of teams that you're talking about. Well, I don't, I mean, based on the track record, I don't think Bay's going anywhere. That's just my opinion, right? So I, I don't think the starting lineup changes all that much. I think I, I'm, there's definitely a case to be made for prior starting over um, Stevenson, right? Um, but they're pretty similar. Uh, their contributions are going to be pretty similar um, so I think you start with Quade and one of those two guys, and you, you're, he's still going to go with Bay, and your, your front court rotation is solidified. So um, there's really, I guess, five guards that I'd be using right now, um, only because I want to see what Bajima can do. Um, you know, and Bay, obviously, he is what he is, and he's going to keep playing regardless. So right. you got the five, you got the three combo guards, Bajima. Bay and then the three bigs rotating the post, and that's what they're going to go with. I'm pretty confident. I think going into the season, Beach, we all thought that maybe Battle was going to be that instant offense guy because he can get streaky, streaky hot. So he could be a six guy come in, pop a couple threes, and now all of a sudden you're you're on your way. Does it feel like Stevenson maybe fits that role now because he is searching? Yeah. And no, you don't think so? No, yeah, I do. I agree with you. I okay. think Stevenson has replaced Battle in that role. Um, not that he's done a ton to justify it, but battle's done the exact opposite. So, um, you know, but when you're still, when you're running out that lineup uh, against Pac-12 teams, man, I mean, you're at a huge disadvantage in the backcourt. There's just no getting around it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're going to finish up the, the podcast here and talk a little bit about um, recruiting. We and, and we're not going to – we don't need to really uh, – 
talk too much in depth about it because Washington's got uh, one signee for the 2021 class, and uh, he signed uh, a month ago, and his name's Jackson Grant. He's a uh, he's a forward um, from Olympia High School. What is he about six ten, six eleven? Is that about right? Yeah, yep. and um, and and very much kind of in the same mold as a Hamir Wright, but uh, Beach, I, I get the sense that you think he could be maybe a, a better version of Hamir when it's all said and done. Well, I don't know. I'm not gonna make that comparison because um, Hamir really doesn't have any game inside the paint offensively. Where Jackson Grant and I keep hearing from people, hey, he's Spencer Hawes. Well, that's awesome. You know, I'll take another Spencer Hawes all day long. Um, so you could see where he would immediately come in and replace Amir. Um, and it's probably a pretty big upgrade. So you got that looming, you know, coming down the pike, but you don't have any fusion of talent, uh, in the backcourt coming. So you're basically rolling with what you got and hoping they get better. Um, to me, they've got to go out and, you know, come spring, they've got to find some guys because, uh, if if you roll out this same lineup next season, I, you know you're going to be in the same boat. This is a sub 500 ball club, as far as I'm I'm concerned. So, and, and I'm not going to argue with that. But what I would what I would kind of want to get your opinion on is that okay? So they would lose Hamir Wright to graduation. You fill him in with a Jackson Grant in terms of position, in terms of what they do, similar skill set. It sounds like Jackson Grant's skill set's probably on a little higher level offensively in terms of his post moves and whatnot. Sounds good. Um, maybe she's probably shooting touch as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I think last couple of games that I've seen stats wise, he scored like 25 and 33 in a tournament in Florida. So it sounds like he's filling it up, which is good. Now you, you're going to lose quad a green after this year. So you're clearly going to need to fill that hole at some point. But what I want to know, well, that's bigger, well Okay, it's not not guaranteed, but it's probably going to happen. Right. Um, right. But I let's. Mean, how do you fill that hole? You say. Well, that but this hole. is what. But this is all I'm saying. But I, I don't even necessarily. We're not going to talk about recruiting in terms of specific players. I want to talk about recruiting in terms of. Are we starting to see a philosophy now where Hopkins can start to plug and play guys? Like, is he starting to create an identity where he can fit a piece here and a piece there, yet keep the offensive philosophy intact? Where he still can play this guard, this four and or five, four out, five out guard rotation with flow, with some spacing, with dribble penetration, with some some high level shooters if he can find them, and then augment that and supplement it with balance inside, but not make it a true balanced attack. It's not going to be fifty fifty inside out. It's going to be more like seventy thirty. Um, are you? Does that make sense? Are you starting to see yeah. where maybe he could fit no. in some pieces Stop. here and there to make this this thing work and make it a staple so that they can actually grow, create a foundation, and then build from there? No, not not based on the current roster makeup. Um, not at all. I mean, and and one of my concerns always from the start was you know having watched a fair bit of Syracuse over the years, like what were we gonna what kind of what we're gonna see out of the offense from from Hopkins and. I don't know about you, but I still am not quite clear on, you know, on, on what they're doing. Um, so, no, I mean, coming into next season, there's no – they need – you're losing your best player by a country mile. So how do you replace him? Well, you don't. But, um, you know, at least you've got some serviceable potential replacements, you know, in prior in particular and possibly Stevenson, right? But you still need 
man, you need a, you need more horsepower from the three spot. I, I just, no, I don't see it, Chris. They need a heavy infusion of talent, um, particularly in the backcourt, and they're nowhere near that. Next, well, so to me, the the answer is um, transfers. You know, fifth year transfers next season. Knowing how hard those guys are to get at Washington. Right, and I get and I get all that. that, and that makes total sense. I guess I was thinking more structurally. You know, can they can they now start to hang their hat? on building an identity that they don't feel like they have to change from year to year simply based on personnel. Because when you lose two five-star uh, All-American, prep All-American players and, and guys like Isaiah Stewart and Jake McDaniels, now all of a sudden it feels like they're going through a whole revamp. And it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't feel like it has to be that way. They should, we know how, what kind of identity they have defensively. So we know how they can recruit to that strength. Yep. And clearly getting a guy like Jackson Grant can help in that strength because he has length. He can be a presence inside. He can do, he can, you know, he's going to be active. He's going to do all the things you want and he's going to be a willing worker. Clearly they need to find these other guys in this infusion of talent that you're talking about, which I a hundred percent agree with. I'm just wondering if now are they starting to hit upon some, some offensive concepts to go with the defensive stability that they've clearly established with this zone because switching offenses to fit personnel every single year, that can't be a winning formula, right? Right. Well, I mean, frankly, a lot of this is just all generated off what quad a does right at the moment. So I think it's less systematic and much more just individually based, right? Currently, you know, it's, it's all writing on quad a, Next season, they don't have a quality to write. Um, so no, with, I, I, I don't agree with your premise. I, I don't think that anywhere close to that currently. I think the front court next season is the pieces are in place next season for a, a, a quality Pac-12 level front court. Um, that, that is pretty clear to me. And especially with, uh, Grant coming in. And I think Jerron Brooks plays a role next season too. But um, they have to get several levels better, you know, in the backcourt. And maybe Stevenson and Bajima develop into that. Maybe the light comes on for Bay and he he figures it out. But these are all predicated on huge leaps uh, from your current roster. And, Chris, I don't see it. I think they're going to keep having to, you know, they're going to ride their best guy, whoever their best guy turns out to be, and they're going to, and that's going to dictate what they do on offense completely. Well, considering they only, they're only going to probably lose a couple of guys, you know, not assuming transfers and all, because you can't really account for that until it happens. But assuming that really what you're saying is they kind of are who they are for the next two years. Yeah, completely. Like there's a decent, there is a chance that they take another step back next season, which is almost unfathomable. But if Quade's gone, Who's, who fills that void? There's no single guy on that roster. There, there's no, uh, you know, nobody's replacing Jason Giambi here, right? You've got, uh, I'm sorry, I just watched Moneyball. Wow, Moneyball. Uh, Let's get some Moneyball. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I, man, I, I mean, there's a, there's a chance, Chris, this team's worse next season than they are this year. And this year they're bad. Damn. Bad Santa. Oh, you are bad Santa this year. What do you want me to do? I'll humble. Talking about those first couple of games, which were absolutely disastrous. No, right? And, and Baylor, granted, no they were the number two team in the country. You'll get no but, argument from me on that. 
Yeah. So we're basing our entire, our hope, our, uh, our hope for the future on one strong performance against a rough <laughs> Seattle U team, right? And I don't want to brown anybody's salad. I'm not trying to, not trying to dish out coal, but <laughs> I mean, dude. I'm looking at this thing going, I don't know what Hopkins is going to do. And it's not like he's going anywhere, right? You know, I keep getting, you know, people keep pinging me. Is his seat warm? No, it's not warm. He's got, what, five more years on his contract? He's not going anywhere. So, oh, okay. so we're, we're going to stop digging the hole right there. Um, we're, we're, we're going to let you, we're going to let you, we're going to let you go. Um, you're gonna let, you know, you've got some, you've got some family time that you need to take care of, but I do want to, I do want, I feel like you're trying to get rid question. of me, Chris. I do want you to answer one question though. Because the Oregon game tomorrow, five o'clock, Pac-12 networks, what are you going to be looking for pregame that tells you or that, that, that Washington has kind of take maybe a, another quarter step in the right direction after what they were able to put together against Seattle? So I think the biggest indicator, it's not pregame, it's, uh, you know, the, those opening five, 10 minutes of the game where we see their energy level. Um, because they definitely, um, they were a bit more juiced, uh, against Seattle U, uh, versus, you know, just their body language and everything we saw, at least in Stanford. Um, you know, and they competed in the first half against Stanford, but still I, you, I liked the energy, you know, just coming right out of the gate against SU. So that's what I'm going to be looking for. I don't, you know, I'm not expecting them to to win this or even really keep it close, but I'd like to see them remain competitive for, you know, at least the first half and well into the second half. That would be, to me, a win. That's a reasonable goal out of this, um, you know, which is awful. And also, so the preseason media writers had Washington finishing ninth in the league. Are you taking the over or the under? Man, I, I mean, there's a scenario here where they could be the worst team in the conference. So, I, I, I maybe I'm taking the under. Well, we just saw Oregon State lose to Portland State last night. Portland uh, State Arizona solid, State. though. Okay, well, that's, that's our Seattle, good buddy, that's Seattle, our buddy U, Mikey Hen, right? Beach Seattle U beat Portland State. So, just, just oh, to let okay. you know how crazy that is. That okay. is pretty crazy. Yeah. So, but either way, I'm just I, I was just curious. But so clearly, it sounds like you're taking the under. I am. Um, I'm pretty pessimistic. <laughs> and we appreciate we appreciate the level takes for sure. Because yeah, this, I, I'm sorry. This is I why you're the head honest. of hoops, my friend. This is why you are the head of hoops. This is why we come to Aaron Beach to get the hot takes and to get the to get the straight scoop uh, as as Washington's basketball season starts to get into full flow here, whatever that kind of means, because there's really only a handful of games that have really been scheduled at this point. So it's kind of hard to say exactly what they're going to be looking at. I mean, you know, schedule-wise, they play Oregon, and then they've got Montana four days later. They've got Colorado four days after that. And then they start, you know, really getting into the meat of the of the Pac-12 schedule. And that'll take us all the way through the – um the beginning of March. It's the final game being at Washington State on March 6th. So I hope everyone stays tuned. You know, Beach, I'm going to be talking to you a little bit later about kind of how things are going. We'll, we'll, we'll get a revision. We'll, we'll see if we have to send any of in, any of your opinions to the freezing cold takes uh, division of Dogman. Yeah, I hope so. 
but really more than so. more than likely, I, I have a feeling. At, Chris, I hope that we look back at this conversation and go, "Beach, you're such an idiot. You just you didn't you didn't have the pulse." And I really hope that's what we end up saying out of this. We might be well, saying that anyway. I'll tell you this right now: <laughs> if you didn't have the pulse of it, I don't think many of us did. So you're going to be in you're going to be in very very good company. So we're going to wrap it up there. I appreciate it, Beach. I hope you guys have a happy holiday season. Enjoy it. Um, hopefully the, the hoops team will give you something to cheer about a little bit, but for Aaron Beach, head of hoops, dogman.com, this is Chris Fetters. Go dogs. Hello everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.